0: This morning, we have a very important topic before us from Acts chapter 13. Um, we continue our series through what we're calling Kingdom Come through the book of Acts, and we've been asking the question, what would Ventura County look like if Jesus were king? And specifically this morning, we're gonna ask, what would our decision-making look like if Jesus were king? Where do we find guidance I'd like to read from Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 and I'll lead us in prayer this morning as we ask God to speak to us guide us and lead us Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon called Niger Lucius of Cyrene Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God there in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This is the word of God. Let's pray together once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. And that you illuminate your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And this morning, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your help in our decision making. We pray that you would remove anything that would hinder us from hearing you. Even this morning. And I believe that there are very specific areas in our lives that you want to speak into today. So would you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive And if there's anyone joining us this morning that does not yet know you, I pray that today they would, that they would trust in Jesus Christ and experience new life today. And it is in his name that we all pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We're so thankful to have this opportunity to gather for those of you online, a special welcome to you, especially for those of you who are new to Christian faith or you're exploring Christianity, you are so welcome here. And I want to begin with this question that we all must ask, where do you find guidance? What is the ultimate authority in your decision-making? For some of you, it is your family. Your family has the tie-breaking authority in your life when it comes to your decisions. Um, Even if you're well-advanced in age, some of you still are going to your parents and you're saying, what choice should I make? And whatever guidance they give for you is the trump card. For others, it's your friends, the influence of your, your, the friends that you have around you, your community, they ultimately determine how you make your decisions, where you're going to work, what things you should or should not do. For some of us, it's the things we read. It's, it's the news that we watch. And we need to ask that question. What is the ultimate authority in our decision-making? And if you're not yet a Christian, what's guiding your decisions? See, here's why this matters. The Christian life is about being fully alive in relationship with God. And one of the powerful ways in which we experience this relationship is through guidance. And it is beautifully described in the phrase in our passage this morning, sent by the Spirit of God. And we've learned over the last few weeks, the book of Acts records for us the earliest history of the church as a movement of Jesus followers who are spreading the good news everywhere, turning the world upside down. We've been asking, what does the kingdom of God coming in our lives look like? Incredible guidance in our decision-making. But friends, it's important to understand what this guidance is. The the guidance of God is not like... A taxi, it's more like a train. Now, my family and I, when we were living in London for five years, we took a lot of taxis, we took a lot of trains, and uh, the, the difference between the two is fairly obvious. When you get a taxi, you pay the money, you direct the cab driver, the route that you want to take, and where it is that you want to end up. But when you take a train, the train has a set destination, and you are not ultimately in control. You are invited to get on board and follow the train's guidance and friends. Many of us, when we think about guidance from God, we treat it more like a taxi. God, I'm paying you with my good works this morning. Here's where I would like you to take me, and this is the particular route I would like you to do so. But it's less like that. It's more like a train. God is on a mission. He has a beautiful plan for each and every one of us, and we are called to receive it. So to put it in a phrase, the Spirit of God guides us in the mission of God with the power of God for the glory of God. That's what he's interested in. And throughout this book, you find numerous references to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the resurrected Jesus told them at the beginning of this book that this kingdom mission would not happen without the Spirit of God, as Dom reminded us a few weeks ago. But here's the question. How do I know I am being led by the Holy Spirit? This is a big conversation, especially amongst the church. A lot of Christians have theories on how they know the Spirit is speaking to them. Some of them just say, I just know. You're like, oh, but how? How do I know? Is it a feeling? Is it a burden? Is it an audible voice? Where can we expect to find the Spirit's guidance? And I want to point out three ways this morning, and we would do well to take them to heart. We can expect to find guidance in the clarity of God's word, the mystery of God's promptings, and the community of God's people. First of all, we can expect to find guidance in the clarity of God's word. All throughout the book of Acts, We are told that the scriptures are being opened, they're being preached, they're being taught, they're being explained, understood, and obeyed. And the leaders here in Acts chapter 13, they were primarily led by the wisdom they received from the word. Indeed, we could say it like this, the most reliable guide to God's will is God's word. And the Spirit's guidance for kingdom mission will always be in line with the clarity of God's word. Look at Acts chapter 13 verse 1. The church in Antioch, within that community, there were prophets and teachers. We need to understand what was happening, how they received their guidance, was in the context of learning a commitment to hearing the teaching of God's word. So to put it simply, we can expect God's guidance as we know God's word. In fact, we're never told to seek the Holy Spirit apart from the word. We're never told to do that. And it's important to note, friends, because this is a source of debate and confusion amongst many. The Holy Spirit will never operate in a way that is independent of or contrary to the Bible. Why would he? Why would the Holy Spirit give us Scripture, tell us that it is fully authoritative for all of life, and then completely contradict it? No, the Holy Spirit anchors us in the Word of God and empowers us to live out the Word of God. Look at what the Apostle Paul says later on in the New Testament about the Bible, All scripture, he writes, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, friends, this is important because to be led by the Spirit is not only a phrase to refer to particular moments in your life. It's meant to refer to the whole of your life, to your decisions. And we believe that he has given us clarity where clarity is most needed. In other words, the decisions that you and I have to make, the decisions that carry the most weight are decisions that are addressed in Scripture. Should I forgive someone? Yes, Scripture tells us. Should I gather together in the community of other believers? Yes. Should I stay faithful in my marriage? The Bible says, yes. How can I grow in maturity? The Bible tells us how. What kind of decisions do I need to make in the face of trials? How can I grow? He guides us most clearly in his word. And he's always speaking to us through his word. But it's not just in knowing His word; it is in obeying His word. See, some of us were like we've got Scripture memorized. You've got little Bible apps on your phone that send you reminders. You've got little post-it notes on your refrigerator, verses on your coffee cup, and you may know them. You're like, "Well, I have you know two thirds of the Bible memorized. Congratulations." But are you a doer of the word? Are we actually applying the word of God? See, the Spirit empowers us to obey. God's commands, to affirm his values, and to become changed in our character. His word gives us these commands, these instructions, these truths that we need to know about this whole new direction of life following Jesus. So let's get practical for a minute. You might be wrestling right now in this season of life. You're like, I don't know what to do. How do I make decisions about my family? How do I make decisions about my friendships, about my job, where I, where I live, etc.? Guidance begins with the general responsibilities for all believers. So practically, this means you and I start with what you know the word calls you to do. What the word is already clear about, we start with that. We see that in the book of Acts. That we're gathering together, serving together, praying together, reaching together, sharing together. We need to start here. So often I've had conversations with with people where they're really worried about what their next job will be and yet they're being unfaithful in their marriage. And I say, dear friend, we need to start with what God has already made absolutely clear. We must start with that if we can then expect to receive particular guidance in the rest of these decisions. Or to put it another way, God steers moving ships. Ships. We want to get out of the harbor, we start with what God has already told us to do, and we can then expect the Holy Spirit to guide us. The church we see here grounded and anchored themselves in God's word. They looked to obey Jesus' commands, assuming that the Spirit was guiding them. Or think about it like this. The Spirit of God draws upon our knowledge of the word of God like an archer draws upon their arrows. I don't know what I was doing there. Is that that how you pull them out? Some of you are like, oh, I go hunting on the weekends. That's not how you pull the arrow out, Pastor Tim. Well, I tried. But as the archer draws upon their arrows for their bow, if there are no arrows... The archer has nothing to work with. Even the most talented archer is ineffective without the arrow. We need to commit ourselves to the word of God. If you want the guidance of the spirit, commit yourself, devote yourself to the word of God. Anchor yourself in the clarity of God's word. Now, some of you at this point, you're like, yes, preach it. The word of God is authoritative. We need to memorize scripture and you're loving this so far. But listen, as you do, you will then discover a further way in which God guides you. In the clarity of God's word, but secondly, in the mystery of God's promptings. In Acts 13, we are told that the Holy Spirit spoke. Some of you say, God's already spoken in his word. Yes, and when you read his word, it says the Holy Spirit speaks. Just want to point that out. Saul, a man we learned about last week, he was a persecutor of the church. But in between that chapter and now, he'd been made new. He met the risen Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. And later on, he is referred to as Paul, a new name To reflect his new life. Here in our text, he is still referred to as Saul. And what did he do? He joined the rhythms and commitments of the church. And it was in this environment that they experienced guidance. Look at verse two. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, just want you to sit with that one for a minute. Got it? Okay. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work Which I have called them. In fact, over 30 times we are told that the Holy Spirit spoke. However, we do not see any standard way in which He did, meaning that there is not one detailed description of the experience of these promptings. They are varied. To put it simply, we're not told how the Spirit spoke, we are simply told that he did. And church, I want us to grasp this. There will be mystery. Let me give you some examples. In Acts chapter 16, we're told that the Holy Spirit forbade Paul from continuing his preaching ministry in Asia, but we're not told how. Earlier in that same chapter, we're told that the Spirit of God guided Paul through a dream, and he concluded that this was God's guidance, though we're not given the details. Earlier in chapter 8, we're told that a man named Philip was prompted by the Holy Spirit to share the truth about Jesus with a traveler that he had never met before, but we're not given the details on how he experienced the guidance. In what way did Philip understand that this was God? In Acts chapter 10, the Spirit tells Peter not to fear the Roman soldiers who threatened him. But how did that happen? We're not given one method, rather a variety. But what does that mean for us? Let me give a few examples of the unexpected promptings that we see in Scripture and can experience in our own lives. Let me just give you four brief ones. The first is this these unexpected promptings can happen like a specific burden as you pray. As you're praying, you're doing your normal rhythm of prayer, but all of a sudden there's this unexpected burden. And for those of you who are getting nervous about the mystery of the Holy Spirit, and you want me to go back to the clarity of God's word, I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon on this point. He says, the Spirit guides us in prayer. He will often direct the mind to the special subject of prayer. He dwells with us as our counselor and points out to us what it is that we should seek at the hands of God. We do not know why it is so but we sometimes find our minds carried as by a strong undercurrent into a particular line of prayer for some definite purpose. It is not merely that our judgment leads us in that direction, though usually the Spirit of God acts upon us by enlightening our judgment, but we often feel an unaccountable and irresistible desire rising within our hearts. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will place a specific burden on your heart. We must be open to that. Secondly, it could be a holy passion for a ministry or a need, a holy ambition. I remember when I was um, over 20 years ago, when I was going to Bible school, I had met this girl named Lindsay, who's now my wife, praise God. Um, We were dating at the time and we were talking about the future of our lives. And I told her, even though I was at Bible school, I said, I never want to be a pastor. Never. Never. Very strong words and other strong words. And over the coming months, I began to wrestle with what it is that God wanted to do in my life. And I picked up a, a book by a great preacher in London from yesteryear named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I loved the cover. It was all 70s and vibey. I was like, yep, I'm getting that book. That's literally why I chose it. But in there, it was a book on a commentary on Romans. And as I was reading it, I got to Romans 10, where the verse was quoted, how shall they hear without a preacher? And the Holy Spirit said, Tim, you're called to preach. I was like, whoa. But I didn't just go out there, like run out in the middle of Bible college. I'm called to preach. It was over time that other people began to affirm that in my life, but it began as a holy passion for a ministry. I remember my my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. We went to this Bible study that was uh, outside of the Bible college and it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. The guy's like, I don't even know what this means. Does it even matter? Nobody really cares. And I was like, I was like what is this? And I remember saying to my, to my girlfriend at the time, I was like, no, this is, no, he's not expounding or explaining the scriptures. It was like this burden just continued to develop that that could happen for you. Third, it could be a special insight into a person or a situation. We see this happen often. It could be a strong impression about someone or something. The Spirit, we're told, warned Paul about certain situations and the same may happen with us. Fourth, it could be a miraculous arrangement of circumstances. Paul would often interpret opportunities as invitations for him to preach. And I know God has worked in my life so many times like that. I mean, even how my family and I ended up in Ventura, I remember as we were still in London and my wife and I were feeling stirred up, we were feeling compelled, we were praying about whether or not God was calling us to back to California, but I had no idea what that would look like. Like, where am I going to go? Like, I want to stay within the reality church family, but there's no obvious openings there. And I remember calling a few of the guys and I called Dom and Dom's like, well, funny that you should mention that because I'm feeling called to step over. I was like, really? We should begin to pray. And now here we are. It's crazy. It's crazy how God is so faithful (laughs) to like arrange our circumstances. And I'm sure you can look in your life if you're a follower of Jesus and see, wow, that's amazing. God is miraculous. And I'll give you a bonus one, number five. Even on occasion, there's dreams and visions. It happened to Paul. Now, do they happen all the time? No, that's why it's called a miracle, not Wednesday. We hold loosely to these knowing that they do not carry the same authoritative weight as the Bible. That will look differently for each of us. But my point is this, we must be careful not to reduce this. There is a mystery. As followers of Jesus, we must be open to such promptings. Now, some of you might have some concerns. You're like, I liked the first point better. I liked the clarity of God's word. I don't like the mystery of God's promptings. And I understand that because some of you, some of us, have had perhaps bad experiences when it comes to people claiming to speak in the name of God, but it totally does not align with the Word of God. Should we be cautious? Yes. But here's an important point of clarification. We should not be cautious about the Holy Spirit. We should only be cautious about us as fallible humans. The Holy Spirit's not weird. I can get weird. My family's like, amen. Like, I've heard people say, we should be cautious about the Holy Spirit. No. I don't want to be cautious about God. I'm just cautious about people because we can get weird. We don't always interpret these things rightly. We don't always discern them rightly. We need to hold our interpretations loosely when it comes to our experience. And people often elevate their experience above the word, which is folly. See, people make it weird, not the Holy Spirit. So please, let me say this pastorally. Don't let caution turn you into a cynic because you had a bad experience a long time ago, do not allow that to determine how you relate to the Holy Spirit today, friend. Let me quote Martin Lloyd-Jones. seems appropriate. He says, who was known for his expository preaching of the word week after week, but he acknowledged what the word said about the spirit and hear what he had to say. There is no question, he writes, but that God's people can look for and expect leadings, guidance, indications of what they are meant to do. Men have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and it transpired that it was obviously his leading. It seems clear to me that if we deny such a possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the Holy Spirit. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want us as a community to quench the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul did not think that these mysterious promptings were the only evidence of the Spirit's guidance. No, he talked about the whole of his life as being led by the Spirit. But being anchored in the Word, he was open to the mysterious promptings of God. And friends, the Christian life is this wonderful union of the clarity of God's Word and openness to the Spirit's promptings. We are a Word-Spirit church. In fact, it is in being grounded in the clarity of God's Word that we will best discern the promptings of God's Spirit. And lastly, we do this together— We can find guidance in the clarity of God's word, the mystery of God's promptings, and lastly, the community of God's people. And we see that here in Acts chapter 13, specifically in verse 3. We don't just see individuals hearing from God, but a community seeking to follow the clarity of the word by the Holy Spirit. Now, I said at the beginning that some of us, we put family, we put friends and their counsel as the ultimate guide. They're never meant to be the ultimate guide. God's word is But having said that, underneath God's word, community can be a great source of affirmation and confirmation. We see that in verse 2 and 3. The Spirit spoke, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And notice verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Notice that Saul and Barnabas had apparently already had a sense of call given by God. It says, set apart to me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work I have called them to. A call is often a strong desire, a growing inner conviction that you are being moved and gifted to a particular ministry. But here we see in the book of Acts, this call on Saul was confirmed in the community. And I love this balance. On the one hand, the text says of Saul and Barnabas, the spirit sent them out. And then in the next verse, it says the church sent them out which highlights the role of affirmation and confirmation in the community. Though unlike the authority of Scripture, the counsel and confirmation of other Christians is nonetheless important. I mean, let's be honest. People may not always be in line with the Word. They may not always be in line with the Spirit. Sometimes that might be wrong. But it is often a part of how God can work to bring clarity. My gift's for example, if I had that inner growing of desire to teach, but everyone around me is like, Tim, you probably shouldn't teach. It's like my friend who told me once they wanted to be a stand-up comedian. We were all like, really? I don't think I've ever laughed. Or like the singer's like, I want to sing. And you hear him sing. and You're like, oh dear. I, I don't know if that's your particular gift affirmation amongst God's people can be a good thing. And knowing this keeps us from all of our extremes. On the one hand, from just being institutional, or on the other hand, just being a radical you know, individual and just making all your decisions apart from any other counsel. And I love this balance. John Stott, the great commentator and a balanced Brit said this, would it not be true to say that both the Spirit sent them out by instructing the church to do so and that the church sent them out having been directed by the Spirit to do so? It's beautiful. And what are the marks of such a discerning community? Well, we can follow their lead. They worship, they prayed, and they trusted. And friends, that's what we're here to do this morning first of all, we worship. The goal is not just to get a decision from God. The goal is to be with God. They were here devoting themselves, stirring up affection for the one who had saved them. And they prayed. They were fasting and they were praying. But finally, they were willing to trust. They surrendered to him and they left the results, and they stepped out, and notice how it ends. Having prayed, having discerned God's call, they prepared themselves to act on it, and we must do the same. But I know for some of us, trust is a big issue. Maybe some of you are like, I know God's calling me to step out, but I'm afraid. I know God's calling me to do something, but I'm I'm resisting it. What is it? that made them willing to sacrifice, willing to step out, willing to take risks. Well, what I love is this community in Antioch, they had a story that began before Acts chapter 13, and it shaped them profoundly. What is it that brought them to a point of being a dependent, listening, prayerful, sending community? It was the grace of God. Because it says in Acts chapter 11, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, He saw what the grace of God had done, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Friends, that's what he saw. He saw a bunch of men and women who were saved not by works, but who were saved by grace, and all of us were accepted by God by his grace. It is the grace of God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves that opens our hearts to him to trust and to obey. Because at the end of the day, here's why you can trust God's guidance, friend. He has invested far more in your life than you ever have or ever will. Some of you are like, I don't know, there's too much at stake. The stakes could never get higher than what Jesus Christ has done for you. Jesus, the sinless and righteous, perfect son of God, he came and gave his whole life for you to rescue you, to die on a cross for all of your sins and to rise again to give you new life. And once you trust in him, know this, the biggest decision of your life is already settled. And if you have not yet made that decision this morning, I invite you to do so. Even if you're joining us online, I invite you to make that decision. I remind us because one of the reasons you might be having a hard time trusting Jesus this morning is because you started believing that all these other decisions are more important than that decision. It may feel like that. The decision about my job is more important than my salvation. No, it's not. You can leave this parking lot today confident that the biggest, most important decision in your life is settled when you surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. And if he has taken care of your greatest need, should we not trust him for the guidance for everything else that we need? You and I need to trust that he cares for us far more than we do for ourselves. And we see this in the cross. And that is why we can rely on the Spirit's guidance to guide us, the one who gave his life for us. And when the Spirit sends you, he sends you with himself. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray together and let's yield our hearts to him. And as you, even in this moment, bow your head in prayer. Before I lead us, it may be that some of you need clarity. You're wrestling with the decision right now. It's a big one. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your life right now. Open your heart to him. For some of you, you may know the decision that needs to be made. You may know what the right choice is, but for a variety of reasons, there's resistance. The Holy Spirit wants to give you courage. And for all of us, we're going to pray for that conviction that our first goal, our foremost priority is to draw near to him. And he's made a way for us through Jesus. So Father, I pray that our hearts would be yielded to you. That we would surrender our decision-making process to you. That we would ask you for guidance. I pray that you'd speak to people. Just as you put a call on the life of Saul and Barnabas here, it may be that you're calling people this morning. Even during this time of worship or, or confirming a call or correcting, perhaps, a a bad decision, pointing and steering people away from a dangerous one. Spirit of God, we invite you to speak. We trust you. We see, Father, all that you've done for us and your Son. And if anyone does not yet know you, I pray that right now they would make that decision and trust you. Say, Jesus, save me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. May they put their trust in him right now and be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, in this context of worship, let's allow our hearts to be open. Specifically, there are men and women to my right and to my left by the prayer team signs. They're here to pray with you and for you. What an opportunity to to stand up. It might even take courage to go and ask for prayer, but say, hey, I need guidance. There's a decision or a situation. I need God to to speak to me and guide me. We can practice what we see here in Acts 13 in a worshipful environment. We're asking God for direction and guidance. I encourage you to go and to receive prayer. And as the team leads us now in song, may we remember that our goal is not just to get a decision. Our goal is to be with the God who loves us. Amen. Let's do that now.